Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. In my newest book, Of Kings and Prophets, the major theme of the book and of the title is about the conflict, the interaction, if you will, between the Old Testament prophets and the kings with whom they dealt. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm in the middle of a series on, based on that book of Kings and Prophets. At the end of the podcast, the announcer is going to tell you how you can get your copy or multiple copies of of Kings and Prophets. I hope you will. I know you'll enjoy it. The response has just been terrific. It's it's a book that will uh, make immediate application to your life, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Now, on last week, we began the ministry of Elisha. We ended the ministry of Elijah, and we began the ministry of Elisha. We talked about Elisha's miracle in the desert where he prays down rain as the way in the way that Elijah prayed down fire, but in a unique way. So he learned the power of prayer from his mentor, Elijah, but he found his own creative expression. He experienced God's supernatural power and he found his own voice because the miracle in the desert is completely different then the miracle on Mount Carmel. Elisha's miraculous power is no less than Elijah's, but it's different. From one generation to the next, supernaturally anointed ministry and leadership can look different and still be just as effective. Now, in today's teaching, we're going to talk about Elisha's encounter, second encounter with a king. Actually, the encounter is indirectly with one king, directly with another king, and more importantly, more directly with a general. So in this episode of Kings and Prophets, the prophet is actually dealing with two kings at the same time and one general. It's the only story in the whole book where we deal with a general instead of a king. The story is of this. The king of Syria is Ben-Hadad. He is a constant thorn in the side of Israel. They fight back and forth, win, loss, back and forth throughout his reign. His top general is a man named Naaman, and Naaman has leprosy. During one of Syria's many raids into Israel, a little girl was evidently captured who is now a slave in the house of Naaman. She is his wife's, the general's wife's personal slave. This young Hebrew girl is a true model of faith and compassion, even in bondage. It's a remarkable story. She evidently, genuinely cares for her owner. What a, what a remarkable story. And evidently, She has favor with her master and favor with her owner, the master's wife. So she says, I wish my master, meaning Naaman, the general, I wish my master, my owner, would go to Israel. There's a prophet there named Elisha, and Elisha will heal you. It seems more logical to me that even if she knew that Elisha would heal Naaman, that she would withhold the information. 
This is a guy who owns her as a slave. Why not just let him die of leprosy? Why not just be smug knowing I know the secret that could get him healed and I'm not going to tell him. It would give her a sense of personal empowerment, I would think. Instead, she wants her master healed and she wants God glorified. She wants this Syrian general to know that the God of Israel is more powerful than the gods of Syria. She says there is a prophet in Israel and he can heal you. Furthermore, she must have genuine compassion for our master. In the whole story, certainly Elisha is the person of power and prominence in the ministry, the supernatural ministry of healing. But this little girl is a person that is tremendously admirable. So the general Naaman tells the story to his king, Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, the king, sends Naaman to the king of Israel and says, with 40 camels loaded with treasure, and he sends a message saying, here's my servant Naaman, he's got leprosy, please heal him. Now, now, do you see this? The little girl does not say the king of Israel can heal the general. She says there's a prophet in Israel. But kings tend to trust kings and not prophets. So he says to the king of Israel, heal my general. Now, when the king of Israel receives this appeal, he turns to the court around him and starts crying out. He says, this, this is an, uh, a provocation. He's trying, he sends his general to me to be healed. He knows I can't heal him. He's just trying to provoke war. When I don't heal him, he's going to attack us and say, the reason I attacked is he wouldn't heal my general. And he's ranting and raving when Elisha steps in and says, now, calm down. It's not you that he wants to heal Naaman. He wants me to heal him. Send the general to me. The king of Israel then sends a message to Ben-Hadad informing him that Elisha, the prophet, is standing by to help Naaman. When Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, Elisha doesn't even greet the general himself. Instead, he sends his second-in-command, Gehazi, and he says, go out there and tell the general, get into the Jordan River, dunk yourself in the water seven times, and you'll be healed. Gehazi does as he's told, and Naaman is, I think, somewhat understandably incensed. He starts yelling, look, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The, the river Farpar runs right through the middle of Syria. Why did I come all the way to, to Israel? Don't we have mighty rivers? Why don't I kneel seven times, dunk myself seven times in the Farpar? Why in this muddy little river in Israel? Is there something magical about the Jordan River? Naaman continues this egotistical rant, this prideful, rebellious rant, I thought at least he would come out and wave his hands around. Isn't that intriguing? Naaman is not so different from those today who care less about the genuine, authentic power of God than they do about a religious sideshow. He just wanted a religious performance. He wanted Elisha to come out and do something dramatic. What we want is a supernatural seeming show so often. What Naaman wanted 
was for someone to come out and wave his hands around. Naaman would have been happy if Elijah had just waved his hands and, and acted prophetic. Instead, he sends his servant out and says, go dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. Now, fortunately for Naaman, his assistants have more wisdom than he does. They, they appeal to him. They say, look, look, general, if he had given you some huge quest, if he had told you to go kill some wild animal or defeat a foreign army, wouldn't you have done it? Naaman says, yes. He says, then all he asks you is dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan. Try it. We go, let's just see what happens. So it is interesting. Naaman does see the wisdom of that, and he does it. I'm not sure that he does it with great faith, but he does do it with some humility, and his leprosy is healed. In gratitude, he sends the treasure. Remember the treasure that Ben-Hadad had sent to the king of Israel? Now Naaman still has it, and he sends it to Elisha, the prophet, and he says, this is all yours. My king sent it to your king, but I'm giving it all to you. Elisha says, I didn't do it for the money, and I don't want your money, and I won't accept your money. There is a, there is a challenge in ministry. It's a constant challenge, and, and the struggle is to know where the line is. Paul the apostle said, you don't muzzle the ox. The ox should be able to eat the grain that he's, that he's treading. We, we ought to be able to do that. We understand that. But there have to be some lines. The closer you get in ministry to people of prominence and power and prosperity, the greater danger there is. There is a fascinating little passage in the book of Proverbs that says, when you sit at a rich man's table, put a knife to your own throat. In other words, be able to say, if you gorge yourself here, you're, you're going to die. So you have to be able to kind of threaten your inner impulse, your appetites, in order to keep yourself from being compromised by the wealth and prominence and, and celebrity of those to whom God gives you access. You want God to give you access to people of, of power, to the mayor, to the governor, to the president, to kings, to celebrities. That's, that's great. That's a great ministry. But remember, it's also a dangerous ministry, and their prosperity and their celebrity can bring you down. Elisha is impervious. He says, I don't want it. So Naaman leaves. Now, Elisha's assistant, Gehazi, decides he wants the treasure. So he runs after Naaman, and he, he lies and defames Elisha. This is very important. It's not just that he wants the money. It is that he projects his greed onto Elisha. And he says, look, my master has changed his mind. And what he would like is some silver and a little gold and, and some Brooks Brothers suits, 42 long. And, and he just starts telling all the things he wants. Naaman doesn't mind. He says, great. He's been healed. He's deeply grateful. Anything. He says, anything you want, take it, take it. So Gehazi takes the treasure and returns to Elisha's house and hides it in his own closet. Now, isn't this remarkable? Gehazi knows the supernatural power of Elisha. He knows he is a genuine, authentic prophet. He knows that God gave him the mysterious secret of how to heal Naaman's leprosy. He can pray down rain in the middle of a desert, 
Gehazi knows all that, but he thinks he can hide Naaman's treasure from the man of God. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? The immediate message is apparent. Don't mess with Elisha. But the broader principle is prophetic authority and power must be undergirded with character and integrity. Following the Naaman incident, Elisha, the healer, becomes Elisha, the supernatural spy. For today, remember this, the spiritual authority that God pours into any ministry, the anointing, we might call it, the mantling that God puts on any ministry to preach, to teach, for healing, for miracles, or for prophetic authority, it must be undergirded with the, the character and the decency of Elisha. When Elisha realizes what Gehazi has done, then he says, you want Naaman's treasure? You want his gold? You want his silver? You can also have his disease. And Gehazi receives leprosy. When we compromise with the world, the diseases of the world can become ours. When we lust for the things of the world, we may receive the destruction of the world. Elisha kept himself aloof from that. I'm not saying he didn't eat. I'm not saying he didn't receive um, blessing and, and gifts from other sources. I'm just saying he sensed, I dare not compromise with this treasure from Syria. Gehazi missed it, and he suffered for it. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. To order a copy of Dr. Mark Rutland's new book of Kings and Prophets, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter promo code KINGS30 to receive 30% off of each book, or call us toll-free at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.